This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello and welcome back to the Premier Chelts. Guys, it's been a long time since the original two have been back together. A lot has been going on. We finally found the time, Rahul. It's good to have it just back to us for a little bit. It it definitely is. It's the dream team, the original two, uh, the spine, whatever you want to call it. We're back. Look, and if you're a fan that didn't tune in for our voices, I'm sorry, but hopefully we can give you some, <laughs> some good arguments and good content today because Chelsea finally have a win. And Rahul, how interesting is it to say that because it's been a rarity lately? It, it definitely has. We haven't won this year. It's been half the month, 15 days into a new <laughs> year. Uh, we finally get the win, which is nice. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been tough. Let's just put it this way. It's been tough being a Chelsea fan and... Uh, I know you and I, compared to maybe some of the others, have been a little more, how do I put it? Not accepting, but understanding of, you know, the overall circumstances. But of course, you never want to see your team going through, you know, what we've been going through and ultimately not picking up points in games that you think they should. So uh, all in all, a positive today, we get the win and a few more positives I'm sure we'll talk about, but uh, it's... It's a start and we have to build upon it. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of, you know, recover what you said there, we started the year off with a draw against Nottingham. And that was not our greatest performance. It's the first of the new year. You want to start off exciting. Okay, we'll take the draw, move on to Manchester City. Always going to be a tough one. Lose one nil. Then we go to the FA Cup, lose four nil. And I think that was maybe Manchester City not even in second gear, which is where I think I started to sing the alarm bells like, Lose all day long, but when you're going to put out a performance like that, we have to be concerned. Okay, one less competition. Let's focus on what else is out there. Then we go to Fulham, London Derby. We have a new signing. We'll talk about that there in a few minutes. Lose 2-1, and you're like, can this get any better? Can this get any worse? Uh, a lot of Chelsea fans out there screaming for change. I use the word change carefully because it's not maybe the change that we need at this moment in time, at least the, that you and I have discussed. But Chelsea fans, nonetheless, screaming for change. Today, we get that 1-0. We played Crystal Palace. I'll start off with a little bit of the, the commentary here. I think he is trying, and by he, I mean Graham Potter, is trying everything in the book to make the changes that are under his control to appease the Chelsea fans. So with regards to, to Crystal Palace today, they themselves are going through maybe, I want to say, a rough patch. I'm not sure if that's fair to them, but... He puts out a lineup of 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, depending on who you're you're getting your sources from. But Kepa stays in goal. Chaloba at right back, which is interesting, so keep that in your mind for a second there, Rahul. Silva, Badia Shail makes his debut, and that's another one that we want to talk about. Lewis Hall staying at left wing back. A lot of questions around that one. Uh, Gallagher and Jorginho anchoring the midfield. Hakim Ziyech, Chukwemekana, Mount, and Havertz leads the nine. So, I'll bring it back to you, sir, to discuss this lineup. Chaloba, right back first. Your thoughts there, then maybe jump into Badishial, Badishial and Hall. I mean, it's it's something different, right? I think we obviously know the issues around Reese James and not bringing in a replacement because he's, in a sense, the best in the world in, at that position at, or one of the best. And so if you bring in a, a second right back, you're basically telling that person you're going to be on the bench for most of the time. And and yes, uh, Reese has had his injury issues, but how do you tell a professional footballer that you're buying that he is most likely going to be on the bench for 80, 90% of the season? As Laqueta does that role, maybe the age helps there, but you feel the drop down. I'm not trying to be rude or, or you know, knocking Aspie down, but when you see Reese at 22, 23, and then you bring in a player 10 years, 11 years older than him, there is going to be a drop and there is going to be yep. uh, a, a change in the output that you get both in the, both in attack and defense. So uh, Chalaba adds a little bit more energy, does not have the crossing, does not have the attacking intent. Uh, but what that does, Jackie, is when you put a center back at right back, but then on the other side, you have like a Lewis Hall, who 
is a left midfielder kind of a defensive, whatever you want to call him. Uh, you can easily turn this into a back three, which allows Lewis yep. Hall to go further up, add to the attacking side of things, and you then are protected by Chalaba, Thiago Silva, and, and Badashile. So it's a hybrid, and I think we've seen Thomas Tuchel do that in the past, and, and now Graham Potter is adapting to it. Uh, and I think he tried it maybe in a couple of games before this. Yep. So it's good to see him sticking to it. It's good to see him maybe thinking outside of the box and saying, Yes, he's not a traditional number or number two, number three, whatever you want to call it, a right back. But Chalaba can offer something different and allow creativity, attacking intent from a different side of the field with Lewis Hall. Yeah, and I think Lewis Hall is trying to fill that gap of bringing that energy. And I think, Rahul, the way we've been set up for the last two and a half, three years under Tuchel and obviously with Potter and the team that's been built to do this job, a lot of the attacking threat comes from the wing backs. And so if that's what we have to do at Lewis Hall until we get everybody fit. And unfortunately for Kukure, I think it just hasn't worked. I think maybe form's not on his side. And it sometimes takes a year to settle. And that's sad to say because we did buy him from the Premier League. But it's a different club, a different style. There's been a lot of, dare I say, turmoil in the first six months of him being here. So it's something he has to get used to as well. But, you know, it's kind of nice to see him. Maybe it's injury-driven, maybe not. But uh, Chukmakana gets another start or at least gets a chance to show what he can do as the number 10 or traditional number 10. Good for the young man. I thought he brought a lot of liveliness and pace. I think a lot of Chelsea fans have been looking for that. What did you make of that as well? No, I'm I'm happy to see him getting the chances. When he came in in the summer, uh, we went off the feeling what's happened in the past under the old regime was a young player comes in and within a week or so or two weeks he goes back out on loan somewhere to gain experience uh, but he came in with the intention of being part of the first team squad and, and he's getting the opportunities now yes driven by injuries but he is adding something different in that attacking with the energy with uh, you know midfield defensive help and things like that so he's young he's learning I mean he almost got a goal against Man City hits the post yeah. so uh, he has the knack for getting into the right positions but once we see some of the other attacking players come back in, I think he does get back, uh, you know, into the bench. And given that we don't have any more cup competitions, he may not see as much time. But again, you never know. Uh, Graham Potter may prefer to kind of groom him and get him into a position where next season he's more of a, a contributor in the starting eleven. But it's great to see. And I think we want to see more of this. I think we put out a post, but you and I actually talk about it a little more offline, which is, might as well play the kids and give them, you know, experience and give them the know-how of how to maneuver and get through some of these games because ultimately that that's who we're going to be relying on if if what we hear is is happening with the clear out and things changing behind the scenes. No, and you make a very good point that we call them kids, Rahul, but these guys are young professionals. And what I've seen, and I'll speak for my opinion now, which is Chukamakana and Lewis Hall, they really bring that energy. And one thing that we've missed in the Chelsea 11, again, I don't want to say all of the 11, but one thing we've missed as a squad so far is that forward motion. We tend to be maybe timid, pass backwards a lot, pass to the side, and hence not necessarily had a result. But Lewis Hall and Chukamakana, I think maybe with that youth and that excitement to be in the pitch, they're like, let's drive. Because both of those two young men were just driving and driving and driving. It doesn't always work. Lewis Hall lost the ball a couple of times, but I think what I, I enjoy is that the bravery of wanting to go forward and make something happen. They both had a couple of amazing runs. And so ultimately I agree with you when all of the players are fit and some of the, the red cards overturned, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the segment. Yes. Chukamakana may drop off when Ben Chilwell's back, Lewis Hall, maybe I, I'm okay with that. And I think ultimately we've done this in the past where a youth player comes out and they're very good and we put a lot of pressure on them and sometimes you put pressure and a youth player comes out really, really good. And sometimes you put a pressure and they crack and you go, sell them, get rid of them. But maybe this is a good way for them to get a lot of exposure and then take a seat back to just kind of absorb what's happening. And then the next season or two seasons from now, they can really develop into what we want them to be. So uh, exciting overall. I think Graham Potter, like I said, is trying with what he's got. Last word on maybe Hakim Ziyech. He's a man that was in the cold before the World Cup. He had a very good World Cup, came back and... He's been a little bit up and down, but today he had a decent game, so I'd like to get your quick thoughts on him as well. No, I, I was happy to see him uh, be part of the starting 11. I was happy to see him contribute. Uh, I, 
want to say he helped out defensively too at a certain point I texted him I was like is he playing right wing back because he was helping out that right flank you know helping out Chaloba helping out Gallagher who who we do need to talk about it in, in, yeah. in a minute or two but uh, sticking to Ziyech it's good to see him back because you're watching the World Cup and you're seeing him in Morocco do their thing and you know break some records and make history by being the first African team in the semifinals and then you're wondering this is the Ziyech that we wanted to see at Chelsea when we bought him a couple of years ago and we've not seen that yet but Again, he's come back. He's worked his way back into Potter's plans. Maybe injuries here play a part too. But there is a player there, Jackie, and there's a playmaker there who has the ability to pick out a pass from deep, who has the ability to score from the outside the box. So he has a lot of tools in his arsenal. We just have to find a way to unlock them consistently because he's he could be that secret weapon that you know we need to... And he did that today, actually, with the assist where... We played the the short corner and he puts it in basically on Kai Harris's head and says, there's not much more you can do but score. Um, so he's he's definitely going to contribute. And I know which we spoke about a clear out a, a few seconds ago, but he's one that I think I would like to see maybe in a different role. Uh, dare I say the Cesc Fabregas role surrounded by the right defensive players because he has the ability. We just have to find a way to work it into the squad and formation. You know, Rahul, one thing we spoke about early on when Graham Potter came, and it's kind of gone mute a little bit because of the results, and some of the results have been very painful to swallow. But one of the things we praised Graham Potter for was maybe having that emotional intelligence degree, or maybe it's the degree in, in psychology of a human being. And a lot of it was made about it initially that Chelsea does have big personalities and big egos. And in fact, in the last episode, we talked about how some of the players whine and don't look so excited to be on the pitch. And sure, there'll be a clear out. But if you are advocating Hakim Ziyech's day or, or you know, Mason Mount needs to do something different with his play or Chukamakana needs to be handled in such a way that he's playing, but he may not play now. I think that's where we need to hopefully rely on the skills that we know Graham Potts has educated himself in and hopefully put a shoulder on each of these people and give them the individual attention they need in, in Hakim Ziyech's case. He's very different. I think you've hit the nail on the head from the traditional winger. He's not bombing up and down, maybe like a, 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 a like a Pulisic or like a Sterling. He does give that ball from deep. Maybe has to use his vision, his mentality, his brain a little bit more. And so, hopefully, that's something where Potter says, "Hey, you may not play every game, but when you do play, you have to put a little bit of added effort to fit what we're doing." But at the same time, we know what your your skill set is and maybe work on that a little bit more because you are right. It wasn't just that one corner. There was another opportunity where he just laid it on a platter for Kai Havertz and said, go on, son, score. Of course, Kai misses it. But that's what needs to happen. More of those forward-looking passes and changes. So just a little shout-out to Graham Potter that I think a lot of negativity has been coming in and around him. And as Chelsea fans, we hear you. We're frustrated as well. But today we get the win. And so we can try and highlight some of the positives that can come out of a win like this. So... Absolutely exciting. Let me give a quick recap of the first half, Rahul, and then pass it over to you. It seemed to be business as usual. Again, I think I'm very careful because Crystal Palace, I don't know if they're struggling or just not gelling or not finding the right thing, but they had some good chances. We had some good chances. I think in that first half, good props to Kepa, Thiago Silva, Badia Shail. They kept pretty tight at the back. Uh, but going forward, Rahul, not so much was created in that first half. No, not really. And again, I think there's, like you said, a couple of opportunities, but overall, I'd say we were in control. Uh, of course, there's, you know, we, we do tend to give the ball away in dangerous positions yeah. and we do tend to bring some pressure on upon us. Uh, but we dealt with that. We kind of rode the wave in terms of dealing with Crystal Palace when they were, uh, you know, trying to mount the pressure on us. And, and, a lot in the last few games, especially when you look at Man City or you look at Fulham away, in those moments we've conceded and the pressure has mounted on us and the the confidence has dropped a little bit. So it was good to get through at nil-nil, of course, uh, in the first half. But then you kind of start thinking about the second half. And if Palace score here, it's a whole different game. The pressure is on us. We're at home. But I think we handled that first half well. Of course, we could have we could have gone up ourselves. And uh, looking at Palace's last few results, I know you were touching on it. I mean, 
They were beaten by Fulham. They were beaten by Tottenham. They lost to Southampton in the FA Cup. They lost to us most recently today. So they're not in the best form, but they have the players. They, they're always a dangerous side. Uh, and it was a side that we were coming into that we could have easily dropped points again because we're not in the form that we want to be. Uh, but I have to say, I think we've managed this game in a way that get through first half, come back second half, continue pushing, ultimately get the goal, and then find a way to see it through, which we've not done in, in a lot of games this season. So props to the team, props to to Graham Potter, and, and I do want to talk to him, talk to you about him. But uh, for the first half, I think it was what you'd expect, which is just keep things simple and, and even. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's important. And, and we'll come to the second half here in a second, but I'll pause because during halftime, Rahul, a new signing was unveiled to the Chelsea public. Uh, I think you might have a better <laughs> pronunciation. You, you did a little bit of studying before the podcast. Who, who's our new signing, our new number 15 for the wings? Are you putting putting me on the spot? <laughs> um, and I, I guessing I'm guessing in the last fifteen minutes that we've been talking, I wonder if we've signed someone else because oh yeah, <laughs> uh, every time you just look around and you're like on your phone, you're like Chelsea are linked to this person, Chelsea are linked to that person, and and in this case, I mean, I know we were linked to the Ukrainian international Mikhailo Mudrik, and I hopefully yeah, I didn't butcher his very name. Very good, yeah. Um, I know we were linked to him. I know he was. Arsenal's top choice. I mean, they had been, you know, scouting him and putting in bids and talking to Shakhtar Donetsk um, for a while. And then Saturday, I mean, uh, I was out, you know, uh, uh, during the afternoon. All of a sudden, I see like Chelsea's uh, Twitter account posting the eye, eye emoji. And then all of a sudden, they're like, <laughs> it's done and he's coming to London. It, it just evolves so fast. Um, and here he is at Stamford Bridge, you know, being un unveiled as our new signing, which is exciting. Look, don't get me wrong. Anytime we take players away from our North or yeah, North London rivals in Tottenham and Spurs, I'm happy about it. But we spent a lot of money here. Again, we've done some smart business in the fact that we've spread it over seven and a half, maybe even eight years. Uh, and that's the benefit of this deal is that when you look at it, People say, yeah, it's 100 million, it's 70 million plus add-ons, but it's spread out over a long period of time. He's 22, 23, I may be wrong, but again, his wages are over a longer period of time. He comes in, and look, there's always a danger of giving a person a seven and a half, eight-year contract, and it doesn't work out, and all of a sudden, this man's on 200, maybe I'm wrong, something like that, but it's got to be high wages, right? And you can't move them on because clubs don't want to pay that, whatever the issue. So that's a whole different issue. But in terms of a business deal, I think it's smart business in the sense that you've taken him away from a rival, a rival that, again, we can talk about them for later in the episode that are doing very well. Uh, but he comes in, adds a little bit of more excitement to the fan base. And, and boy, do we need that. Uh, I don't personally know much about him. I haven't seen too much of him. But from what I've seen, he looks like a, a pacey winger, a winger that wants to drive towards defenders and, and do something different, which is great. Now, the goal scoring, and I know you shared a stat with me earlier today, was like nine goals or something like that. Look, he doesn't have to be a goal machine as long as he's creating chances for others and doing things on the pitch that maybe some of the guys that we currently have don't do. And it's an exciting signing, and I'm 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 all for it. Hopefully... The money and the the value and all of that doesn't weigh on him, and he does what he needs to. But at the end of the day, we have a new player, and we should just get used to this because there's more coming. <laughs> Look, I want to talk more about transfers, and you made some fantastic points there. But I want to finish the second half and maybe spend a few minutes breaking down what Chelsea are doing overall with transfers. So, real quickly, because I think it's important to go over it, the second half, Rahul. Uh, we get the goal, ultimately. Kai Havertz takes a lot of flack. You already said it. Hakim Ziyech finds a way to get him a ball in there. Uh, a little bit of tactical change, I must say. I think Graham Potter found a way to bring Aubameyang into the mix and drop Kai Havertz a little, a little deeper. And I'll give you a shout-out here because you were screaming for that all morning, saying Kai Havertz is not a number nine. He's tr He's been trying to do the job, and he worked extremely hard. It just 
it doesn't look good on him and we struggle watching the game when he's out of place, but uh, maybe dropping a little deeper, not having the focus on him so much, he finds a little more room and he gets the goal. And look, ultimately, I think one thing we can't fault Kai Havertz for is he, he tries. He always doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere with him, but he gets the goal that we much needed. But I'm going to turn our attention away from him. I, I, a lot of credit to Kai Havertz, Hakim Ziyech, but let's turn it to the midfield and defenders for a second because Conor Gallagher is a Chelsea boy through and through. He's been here since he was seven or eight he has been asked to play a couple of different roles for Chelsea so far on the Tuchel, maybe a little higher up under Graham Potter. He's now played in this pivotal role. And a lot of Chelsea fans give him a lot of flack. And I just don't seem to understand why. A Chelsea boy, he runs across the entire pitch every time I've seen him play, Rahul. And so that's very interesting for me. But today in particular, he worked his socks off. I saw him sweating from the moment the game started till the end. He had some aggression, which honestly, this Chelsea team needs somebody who's willing to play for the badge and show some aggression. Look, some of it we can sit back and say, Connor, we're in a tough situation. Don't make a stupid tackle. But he's only 22, and he's showing me he cares. He wants this game to win. He wants to take out Crystal Palace. Maybe he wasn't alone there. It doesn't matter. He just did what he had to do to get the result, close down, make runs, he was the ultimate box-to-box man today, and, and I can't heap any more praise on him, so I'll pass it over to you here. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, and he's had a tough time. Let's not let's not get it wrong, uh, wrong, right? He came in off a very successful loan spell at Crystal Palace, high expectations. He comes into the squad. Tuchel says, I want him. You know, he's part of my squad. I want to keep him. And then we lose Angolo Conte, who really is the heartbeat and... I, he's the heartbeat of that team, right? And all of a sudden you turn around and you say, well, Connor Gallagher has the energy, maybe not the same kind of defensive ability or, you know, contributing in attack the way Angolo does sometimes. But then you basically have to throw him in there because of Kovacic's issues with injury, Conte's issues. And in his first game, I believe against Leicester, he gets that red card. And, you know, it, it, he's devastated. You can see it on his face. He cares so much about that moment that he overdid it. Uh, and since then, he's kind of been in and out, managerial change, Chelsea as a club, you know, struggling. But today we saw the Gallagher that we wanted to see when he came back from loan. Full of energy, was reading the game, was everywhere, all over the pitch. Everywhere. Yeah. I'll read some stats. I mean, he completed 100% of long balls that he competed for. 90% pass accuracy, 60 passes completed, 13 ground duels won, 21 final third passes, which we struggle with. And yeah. I know we, we usually look at Jorginho to, to kind of provide those balls, but Gallagher was providing those. Six fouls won, three dribbles completed. So overall, it was a complete performance from a person that you wouldn't otherwise expect, especially with as a two-man midfield with Jorginho. Yeah. So, no, it, it was honestly great to see. And for me, he was my man of the match. I know uh, others may feel differently, but I'm excited to see him kind of coming back into his own. And maybe it's down to Potter and kind of putting his arm around him, giving him that confidence boost that he needs behind the scenes. And that's what we want to see. Now, sometimes we don't want to see him going in full-blooded because on a different day, a different referee gives you a yellow card pretty early, and then your game plan changes. And and sometimes in the moment, you may not realize, and you go in, and then all of a sudden, you're sent off. So, Connor, if you're listening, and I hope you are, uh, <laughs> keep it up. We love to see what you're doing, but sometimes just tune it back a little bit because we want to see more of it, and we don't want you to lose uh, games because of you know sending offs. And with the midfield, Rahul, I think Ingolo Kante hopefully will come back in the future. You've got Kovacic, Jorginho, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. You've got a few guys that are competing for that middle two. And of course, Zakaria is out now, who was on a brilliant run of form. You almost wonder, he's going to be in and out of the squad. And so performances like this can only endear Conor Gallagher to the fans that have been so tough on him. But to Potter, it gives him like a new signing. Because you look at Conor Gallagher, and he doesn't usually play in that pivot, at least for the loans that he's been on with West Brom and with Crystal Palace, respectively. He's more of an attacking or box-to-box -box midfielder. But if he shows them he can do this role and fill a void that we obviously have right now, and not only is he doing the defensive duties and the dirty work, because we saw that and he got a little overzealous there, 
but you pulled out a good stat of 21 forward-looking passes in the final third or something like that, which is important because that's where we're lacking right now. There's a lot of screaming going on from many pockets of Chelsea fan bases that say every time we look around, the ball goes backwards. And I have to agree with them. That's what I see in a lot of games. So if you've got someone like Conor Gallagher whose mentality and natural position is to be forward-thinking, but he's playing a little deeper, he could be a missing piece. Again, I don't want to put any pressure on him. I just thought he had a fantastic performance today. I hope he continues, and I hope he just keeps his head level. Just tone down those rash tackles, like you said, and I think we have a, a good opportunity for him to fill the void. But I want to come to the my man of the match and maybe the defender that maybe saved a lot of the opportunities for Crystal Palace. And it's no surprise we talk about him every week. 38 years old, going strong. Tiago Silva, Rahul, what a player. 38 years young is what we should be yeah. saying because he and he played midweek, right, against Fulham. So he played midweek Thursday night. He's here again on Sunday playing in a highly competitive game. I'll be happy if I'm walking just fine at 38, let alone playing football at the highest level. So I, there's not much more you can say about that, man. He's He's someone that when he came in, was it two seasons ago at this point? Maybe three. Three. Uh, yeah. We were wondering, like, why are PSG letting him go? Why are we bringing him in? He's 36, I believe, at that point. Uh, do we know what we're doing? We we need to bring <laughs> in younger defenders. And all of that in the first maybe month or two has gone out the window. And I think he made a mistake in his first game against, I believe it was Fulham. I mean, oh, West Brom, I, I beg your pardon. Yeah. And... Since then, I want to say there's been no mistake because he's just, he was like, you know what, I'll give one and then I'll just have people think like I can't cut it <laughs> at this level and then I'll just prove them wrong. And for me, he's just one of the best defenders in the world. And maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe I'm biased, but what he does at this age is just phenomenal. And I'm so happy it's doing. he's doing it in a blue shirt because... A few times you see, even when Koulibaly comes on, he goes in for a challenge, the players go around him. Thiago Silva finally reads it and gets a foot on it and, and gets it out and bails out his teammates. So if I was the other defenders or midfielders, I'd be protecting Thiago Silva at any cost and, and even making sure he gets that contract renewal uh, for a year or two, whatever that man wants. Yeah, look, and if it's if it's down to age and you think in a year or two he's not going to be the same player, it, it doesn't matter. Right? I think the mentality he brings every time he steps onto the pitch is so critical for all of these young centre-backs to learn from. One of the things that I look at, right, we're watching the game and the commentary goes to Crystal Palace. They had an injury early on in that first half, unfortunately. They bring another centre-back, and I think he's 34, 35, and the commentator goes, oh, he's in the twilight of his career. And I start smiling because I'm looking at Thiago Silva in the background <laughs> 38 going into 39 and he's looking like he's 19 years old. I exaggerate a little bit because obviously the pace isn't there anymore, but the sharpness mentally is so profound. And I think we are sitting here and a lot of Chelsea fans are, are clapping for Badia Shail and they, and they should, don't get me wrong, but every time he stepped up or every time he may have made a step out of position, Thiago Silva, maybe should change his name to a mop man. Cause anytime a defender <laughs> spills, he's just, mopping up right behind them. It's incredible to see his understanding of the game and just protection he gives to the other guys who, by the way, are frankly a lot younger than him around him. And he says, boys, you go do something. If there's a mistake, I'll mop up right after you. So well played. I, I don't know what else to say about him. I, I Like I echo everything you're saying, and a lot of Chelsea fans would agree. Extend his contract if he continues to be in the starting 11. All the younger players, look, take notice, take notes try and fight him off but that man wants to play every single game so fantastic Rahul I'm going to talk about a few things before we move to transfers we win one nil we needed this <laughs> there's no going around this but I'm looking at some stats from Nottingham Forest Fulham and Crystal Palace and in all of the games well Nottingham Forest we had 73 percent possession Fulham 53 percent in this particular game 63 percent uh, shots on target, uh, Nottingham Forest, we struggled a little bit. We had two, but Fulham, we had 10 shots on target, 20 shots overall. In this game, 15 shots on target, five shots overall. I'm struggling because I think when I watched the game, I thought we played better, but then I look at the stats and I and I kind of take a step back and I, and I start to think Crystal Palace has their problems. Did Chelsea play better 
or did we get away with something? And look, I'm not upset about it because I think every now and then when you're going through a bad patch, you need this to go your way. You need to get a goal and just kind of get out of it. But I want to hear your thoughts on those three games, just keeping it to the league, exclude Manchester City. There's something different. But the formations, yes, he changed the players, the possession stats and all are similar. What's your thoughts on this? Did we play much better today or was it Crystal Palace that let us get away with them? I I mean, I think it's... We did, we did play better. I wouldn't say we played much, much better because there were moments where I was like, what are we doing? Why are we, you know, we, we're forcing to play out from the back or we're forcing to play in midfield when we could easily get it out and get it, you know, get players out of our box into into the other side. So um, ultimately we played better in the sense that we defended, we got into places in defense at the right time to block out shots, kept up, pulled off a, a couple of decent saves. So overall, yes, we get the win. So you have to say that it was a better effort than the last couple of games, at least those two away games against uh, Forrest and Fulham. But again, on a different day, we concede an equalizer when when Palace are, are putting on the pressure. So I think collectively as a unit, as a team, we we all dug in. And you, like you rightly said, sometimes you just have to dig in and get yourself out of a hole, which we're currently in. Again, it's one game. It's at home. We have a massive game next weekend against uh, Liverpool. But we're headed in the right direction in that we stopped a bad run of results that we were we were looking around and saying, well, is Potter going to be okay? Is, you know, what is going to happen? And all of a sudden, those headlines go away for a few days and the feeling around the club is a little bit different. You and I here, miles away from the club, are feeling a little bit better about what's going on. And it's only been 90 minutes of a decent 1-0 win. But the positives, we win the game, we keep a clean sheet, we give uh, a couple of players Badi Shile uh, debut, we lose Lewis Hall to injury, which I don't even know what to say about our injuries <laughs> problems. But for today, at this moment in time, Crystal Palace were not where we needed them to be, and that's great because we ultimately get the result. But on a different day, like we've seen against a Man City, when we put on the pressure on ourselves, we get punished. So, look, let's not get carried away. I don't know what happens next weekend, and we may be in a different mood. But for now, I'm okay. And I hopefully the players see that, and we get a couple of guys back from injury maybe in the next week or so, and we build upon this. Look, going away to Liverpool is never going to be easy. But on the back of a, of a win like we have, Liverpool coming off a back of a loss, sitting in ninth and 10th, respectively, both of us at this point of the season – it's it's a mid-table clash. Uh, but for today, I think it was what we needed. It, it really was, Rod. And I think sometimes you say you need a little bit of luck. And we had a little bit of luck today. Crystal Palace did not have a little bit of luck. And I really love what you said about it maybe takes the headlines, takes the pressure, takes the visibility off of Chelsea. And I hope that the, the atmosphere around Stamford Bridge and Cobham will be positive because all of that pressure, negative media, Chelsea fans hounding. Because as much as you say you can tune it out, they're human beings, they hear everything. And so we try to be positive. But I, for one, I'm happy we can get over this hump here for now. Of course, Liverpool is going to be a completely different speed bump to get over. But we'll cross that bridge later in the segment here. Let's talk a little bit about transfers now. I know we already talked a little bit about uh, Mudrik. He's come in, I think, officially this morning or this afternoon. And big amounts, you already covered that, close to $100 million with with clauses and all that fun stuff in there. But for a January transfer window, Rahul, or what's called a winter transfer window, Chelsea have not been shy by any means necessary. We've brought Benoit Badia-Shail, who made his debut today. I think it was 35, 40 million pounds over there as well, which is another centre-back to add to the list of centre-backs. I think we have six now on the book, not <laughs> counting maybe Ethan Ampadu, not maybe counting Caldwell that's on loan. I think when Malang Sar, I don't know if he was sold or on loan, but a lot of different things going on there. Uh, obviously, we covered Andre Santos, maybe one for the future 18. Uh, Datro Fofana has already made his debut and has played a couple of games for us. He's 20 years old. He came in for 12 million as well, 13 million there. So uh, Gabriel Slonina, we already knew he was around. But Yao Felix is one I don't think we've talked too much about since he came in. 
it's a loan, Rahul, about $11 or $12 million for six months till the end of the season. Uh, all in all, I think with transfers, it's going to end up being close to $20 million, you know, wages included. What do you make of the Yao Felix signing? He looked okay uh, in his debut game, but he got the red card, which unfortunately we didn't get a lot of time to talk about with the Fulham game. But Yao Felix, maybe a quick word on him. Look, I'm, I'm excited, right? Because he's a brilliant young talent. Uh, we've seen him play for Atletico for the last few years, and maybe he's not been given the freedom that he ultimately gets with Portugal or uh, even Benfica, where he came from. So he's a talent. He adds to our attacking tools, arsenal, whatever you want to call it. And I say arsenal because they were in for him. Uh, and we we took him away as well. But I don't get the... You know, the, the there's no clause to buy him. Yeah, yeah. So if we were really going to get Mudrick, which we did, and maybe it's different players, right? And and John Felix, ultimately, if we want him, I'm sure the money will come up from somewhere. <laughs> um, but I, I'm excited. But again, he gets a red card, so now it's going to be a shorter loan deal. Um, yeah. But from the first, what is it, 60 minutes or so against Fulham, he was... A breath of fresh air. I think he was a, he was the best player on the pitch, even after he was sent off. Um, so I'm excited to see him come back in, work his way back into the squad, and and work with the guys in and around him, Kai Havertz, Aubameyang, if that's who's playing in ahead of him, Mudrik, who will be there, Sterling, who's going to be coming back. So he's definitely a great, you know, addition to the squad. Ultimately. Did we need to spend that much to bring him in? If we had a, a bigger player or a bigger, you know, signing lined up right behind him, I don't know. But hey, if he, if he works out and he wants to stay, we'll be happy to have him. Yeah, and he's a slightly different profile, in my opinion, to Mudrik. I think maybe Mudrik will hug the wings a bit more, maybe a bit more pace. And yeah, Felix gives me a little bit of a, a technical, flary kind of player, which I think will benefit Chelsea and and one thing I can say hopefully that is positive Rahul is Chelsea have not been successful with big name big money signings in the past most recently of course Romelu Lukaku 100 million he's gone now and if all intensive purposes are true we are most likely going to take a pretty huge loss on him now I think good on always mentioning Roman Abramovich for writing the debt off because at least for Bowley's group even if they get a pound for him a pound is profit at this point because they had to write off that debt. The point I'm trying to make, though, is I think Yao Felix transferred into Atletico Madrid for 105, 106 million odd pounds, and you would expect that they would want a close amount to that number. The loan, while it seems expensive, this is the silver lining, is if he does poorly in six months, we've lost 11 million pounds versus the full massive transfer. But if he does well, we can have some certain degree of confidence that we can then go and pay that 100 million that Atletico are possibly asking for and and it fits, and we've not lost a big wage or a big transfer to him. So I'm hopeful there. Um, regardless of what happens, I'd like to see him at least help us in the short term and maybe revive his career a little bit. If he stays in the summer beyond that, great. If he doesn't, at least do your best to help us, and we'll kind of go from there. So uh, Chelsea, it's a weird transfer season. I know we're linked with a few more uh, players here, but we'll figure that out as it comes closer. Let me ask you, how do you look? So I talked to a few rival fans, right? And from the outside looking in, they're like, Chelsea are ruining football. And, you know, here we go again with Chelsea just buying their way back to the top of the league. What are your thoughts on some of these comments? And ultimately, what are your thoughts on the amount of money? I think it's now up to five, six hundred million that has been spent since, uh, you know, Bowley and, and Clear Lake have come in. Not even a year yet. So um, are you worried about FFP? Are you worried about the way we're just, in some cases, oh, Arsenal want him, we're going to go get him. Oh, Arsenal want to loan Felix, we're going to go loan Felix. Or are you, like, seeing the 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 benefits of some of the additions we've made behind the scenes, like a Vivelle or um, some of the other guys that have come in? I just want to get, you know, your thoughts in and around our strategy with some of these transfers and ultimately what it means for financial fair play. Yeah, look, I think that's a multiple part question and I'll do my my best to answer it here. I think strategy in the summertime will shoot from the hip and I think that's something we're going to feel the pinch for sooner rather than later. Obama Yang, 33. I don't know if he's going to be with us a long time. Uh, 
Kudabali 31, we expected him to be an immediate success. It hasn't looked like that. Uh, 44 million odd pounds there. So that's going to be an interesting one. Raheem Sterling, I know a lot of Chelsea fans said he was going to be immediately our best winger. I don't disagree with that, but I think he was 45-ish odd pounds. I think he's 27. And then we've gone on and signed several other attacking talents and, and wingers. And so I wonder what that looks like. Sure, there's a short-term plan, a long-term plan. And so that's fine. But summertime was maybe shoot from the hip, just get stability for Thomas Tuchel. They didn't have time to do research. However, Rahul, the January transfer window has been very eye-opening to me. Every single player that has come in has been under the age of 22, which tells me that they're looking young. And it's something that uh, Jose Mourinho did in his first season with Chelsea. And all of those 21, 22-year-old guys have now received six, seven, eight-year contracts, which means they're trying to build a team for the next decade. And if you look at what happened with Jose Mourinho in 04-05, while nobody wants to admit it, that team he built in 04-05 won the Champions League in 2012. Of course, you change pieces of the puzzle here and there, but your John Terry's, your Frank Lampard, your Petr Cech's, your Didier Drogba's, you look at maybe you add Michael Essien was on the bench, maybe you add a couple of key guys here, Ashley Cole, that played with Josie Mourinho and won the Champions League a decade later. And so I think it's important that we look at it that way. Now, if you tell me we're looking at Arsenal, they won Mudrik and we come to buy him, and then they won Yao Felix and we come to buy him. If you told me that in the summer, I would say, yeah, they're looking at what top clubs want and we're going to do it. But with the assembly of this transfer team, you have to believe, Rahul, that Arsenal don't have the only scouting department there. Chelsea have a scouting department that knows that this guy is probably the next best talent. Would I have paid $100 million? It's not my money. So I think I have to sit back and see how the guys who have run financial industries and other sporting clubs for a long time do. The last thing I'll say on this point, while $500 million seems like a lot, we have a massive squad at this point in time. And so I want to give it to the summer when we start to offload players. Because if you're offloading 10, 15 guys, unfortunately, that's the reality of the situation and you're able to get 100, 200 million back out of that, then it goes from, yeah, Chelsea spent 500 to no, they spent net 300 million, which net 300 million on, I think it's been 12 players so far, and you divide that kind of equally, that's not too bad business. Yeah, it's, I mean, the way you explained it makes total sense, right? And and you have to take a step back and think about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I think you're right. There is a longer term strategy and with all the new recruitments that have come in, not just you know for the squad, but behind the scenes, there is a lot of conversations happening that we don't hear. There's a lot of scouting happening, like you're saying, that we don't hear. And uh, ultimately, we're bringing in players that we want to give them time to to come into their own, into the squad. Uh, and days like today where we do get wins kind of eases things and we don't have to throw Fofana in. Uh, you know, against a Man City or Liverpool just because we need someone to to be a striker. So, again, a long, long time to go in this window, a long time to go this season, and then we go into the summer. Uh, and you're right. I think I'm now interested to see how we work on the clear out. And when I say clear out, I'm not saying we're suddenly going to be like everyone that was here under Roman is out the door. But there clearly is an idea internally. And, and of course, those names haven't been released and they shouldn't be released because we want to get the best business deal for them. But there's clearly an idea of who stays and who goes, and we're working on filling those positions that will obviously be vacant. Uh, ultimately, I would like to see a right back and a midfield come in at some point. Uh, but those are positions I know we've tried to, especially with midfield, and, and we'll continue to try to fill. So, no, definitely agree with you, and hopefully we, we are being smart about the way we're doing it, and we are in some cases with longer deals, spreading out the risk, spreading out the finances, and when the money comes in for the likes of you know the, the players we sell, then the net spend is what we've always kind of thrown into into rival fans' faces because we, we've had a good net spend and been able to get good fees for players we've sold, so and we'll see, time will tell. Yeah, if you're a rival fan, you're crying about about us pinching your targets look we had the same thing with barcelona last summer it's just football you just manage it and you move on from there uh, rahul i want to talk about a couple of other games that happened this weekend just to get your thoughts because i think they're very critical to the league table 
Manchester United derby. It's Manchester United versus Man City. They beat them 2-1. I don't know if I followed Manchester United close enough, but it seems like Eric Ten Hag did his little clear out by kicking Cristiano Ronaldo out. So uh, what are your thoughts on them beating Man City? Uh, not surprised uh, because I, I kind of predicted United to take this um, twofold. So United obviously are on a great run. I think they've lost one in the last 15 or 16. And you have to give credit to Ten Hag and, and the players for believing in what he's doing. I mean, you get rid of Ronaldo uh, and come up looking better in the sense that the fans are on your side. The club is backing you. Younger players around are saying, this guy's not to be messed with. Um, and he's getting the results and he's getting them to play the way he wants them to play. If you think back to the start of the season, I mean, three games in, what was it, like three defeats, 4-0 against Brentford, and, and even for Brighton had beaten them with Graham Potter. Um, so he came into a tough situation. He saw it out. He did it his way. So you got to give him credit. Now, that first goal, Jackie, I, I don't know who in their right mind sees that and says, yep, not offside. I know the rules written like that, but logically, how are you telling me that Rashford is not interfering with play because he's running behind the ball, going one on one towards Ederson, about to pull the leg back and strike that ball before Fernandez comes in and shoots it, and all of a sudden it's not offside. Like, come on, we. I get the rules are written in a way that you know have to benefit attacking players or attacking movements but this one clearly was written by someone who does not play and doesn't know what happens in a high-speed game because you and I have played at a very low level right and I know sometimes we didn't even play with offsides but when a person's running onto goal and the flag hasn't come up which again is is a whole delayed flag issue that we've spoken about before but flag hasn't come up what if the defender goes in and does a last-minute tackle right I know he's a little bit further but We've done that. We've tried to stop players from scoring or, or opponents. So I it just it just baffles me that that was not called back, especially with VAR and logically that should have not been a goal. But hey, you get that goal and then United at home are always a tough side, especially in the last 10 minutes. Fergie time is what we call it. Um but I, I expected them to win and and City for me. With everything that they've got going on with Holland and you know the goals he scored twenty one more than Chelsea have, okay, great. They have these results in them where they just go one nil up, you know, a cruising, cruising. All of a sudden they get hit one two, and then all of a sudden they're like, now we got to scramble, and it it doesn't work for them. They either have to be fully in control, or something has to go their way and they come back in. But I and that makes me nervous because when we talk about the other game. That's where I see Arsenal a little more consistent and believing in each other and City seem to be a little more, let's just leave it for Holland or let's just leave it for De Bruyne and it doesn't work that way. Look, at, at the end of the day, one thing you mentioned and that's the, the only thing I hope you wouldn't mention is VAR because you know my, my thoughts on that and so I'm going to hold my thoughts close to my chest there but it, it does look like Manchester City are not exactly the same side that they were last year, Rahul. And I don't know if that's us looking at it that way, or maybe we're not giving Arsenal the credit that they need to get. And we'll come to them a little bit later in, in, in a minute here. But I want to move on to Brighton versus Liverpool. We thought Chelsea were the only big team with problems. Unfortunately, Liverpool are right smack dab beside us. Uh, they get beat 3-0 with Brighton. And no shame in that because Chelsea got beat 4-1. So I know the feeling. But uh, what are your thoughts on Liverpool versus Brighton here 3-0? I didn't watch it, but I saw the result and I was like, holy, yeah, whatever, you know what? <laughs> um, I mean, look, Brighton are a good side, right? And at home, they've always been a tough side, but I don't know. I thought Liverpool had turned the page. They were, you know, kind of coming back. I know they've lost Van Dyke, and that makes things difficult and, and hopefully it continues at least for a week more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but man, I... I just I don't know. It's 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 weird to see Liverpool kind of so inconsistent because they've been so consistent for six years now with under Klopp at least five, uh, and maybe they do this kind of season right. But they add players. They've added Gakpo. You know, Darren Nunes. They've spent the money too. Of course, maybe not in the positions that they wanted, uh, but 
Brighton deserve a lot of credit and and Deserby turning into the new Potter. Maybe better than Graham Potter. Look, I didn't say <laughs> that out loud because Chelsea fans would be screaming at me. No, I think, look, it's one of those things, Rahul. I think it's cyclical. You've got to spend money to rebuild certain aspects of your team. Chelsea have been crying out for a, a midfielder, creative midfielder, defensive midfielder. I think Liverpool might be in the exact same problem. Uh, this gives me a little bit of shades of when we lost Aiden Hazard, they lost Sadio Mane. And so you lose a critical outfield player that was so pivotal to the way they play. And while they spent a good amount of money in Nunez, I think it's it may come good in, in a season or two, but it's just not there right now. So it's a tough one to swallow. And so we'll hopefully wait till next week and we'll do a little review episode <laughs> next time to talk a preview episode to talk about it as well. But let's talk about the leaders of the Premier League, Rahul, and that's Arsenal. A lot of flack. I think they were initially... Arteta is not going to do the job. Their transfer strategy is poor. They've been struggling for a few seasons. They get a couple of key guys this year and, and Jesus, and he's not even fit right now in Zinchenko. A couple of young fellas in there as well have come good in Odegaard and Katia, uh, Saka. 2-0 against Tottenham, they make it seem like it's just spreading butter over bread. There was no pressure on them. It was smooth. It was classy. And Tottenham just didn't know what to do with it. They didn't. You're you're absolutely right. And this is a ground where Arsenal typically end up losing. I'm not going to say don't do well because obviously they've won and they've won in the past. And they usually tend to win there, I believe, when they end up winning the league or getting pretty close to it. Yep. Um, so coming into this game, you you almost saw it as, okay, Tottenham, their biggest rivals. They're going to put up a big fight for Arsenal. I want to say in the first maybe 15 minutes, Tottenham were kind of putting the pressure. After that, Arsenal just took over, playing their football. You know, they, these are guys we talked about last season with Granit Xhaka and said, you know what, this guy, not good enough. Um, Odegaard, when he came in, I, I was one to say he's not going to cut it, turned into a, a, an excellent player. Eddie Nketiah, who's a backup striker, I saw him, I think, at right back at one point, defending and helping out, right? So you got to give the team, but you also give individuals credits. And and it hurts me to say it, but Arsenal right now are playing as a unit. Of course, they're, they're guys that score and do the, the assisting and all of that, but they're happy for each other to do that. It's not a one-man show. It's not give it to Saka and let's hope Aubameyang, who was there before, or Lacazette, who was there before, does something. These guys believe in the start that they had, you know, earlier this season gave them this platform where they're going into games and just comfortably taking over, scoring goals. There's no pressure. I I have to give them a lot of credit. And unfortunately, I have to give Arteta a lot of credit because you and I sat here when we started this over two years ago at this point and, and basically were like, if Arsenal want to be serious, <laughs> Arteta has to go. You know, they're not going anywhere. They're almost in the relegation spots at midpoint yeah. one season. So massive, massive credit to them. And even though we're taking their signings, they're <laughs> taking the points. Look, and as a Chelsea fan, I can only say that the the social experiment at Arsenal seem to have come to fruition now. It seems to be working. So if Chelsea are doing something similar, which is backing a manager, clearing out players that don't fit the needs, buying in young and hungry players... If it can be as successful as Arsenal's, then let's do that because I want to build that 0-4-0-5 team hold to give us 10 years of stability because that's something we're craving. But uh, in the interest of time, I won't review the Newcastle game with you, but a little bit of controversy there with Fulham and the penalty and Mitrovic, but Newcastle grind out the results. Don't sleep on Newcastle United. They are third in the table with 38 points. Arsenal, a little bit of a gap there with eight points ahead of Manchester City. They're sitting in first. Manchester City could get caught by Newcastle and Man United at this point. So it's getting very, very interesting. Tottenham seem to have lost a little bit of form. They're in fifth with 33, uh, skipping a few of the candidates there. But Chelsea in lonely 10th with 28 points. But Rahul, two, three wins on the bounce. I'm not saying we're there yet, but two, three wins on the bounce. And you could be looking at the fifth spot again. So uh, I've not lost hope yet. I'm going to give Graham Potter time. <laughs> I'll, I'll, give it, I'll turn it to you now for a few minutes to... Give me your thoughts here and then talk about the women's team because they're doing really well as well. No, I, I think you touched on what for me is going to be a top four, which is Arsenal, City, Newcastle, and, and United. Um, we I 
would hope we end up getting closer to that, but I don't see us getting it. I think we've we've fallen a little too far behind, even after you know having a couple of games in hand. And and right now I look at it, United actually have a game in hand over us, and they sit yeah. in fourth. So it's going to be tough. But again, we're at the halfway point for us as Chelsea, so we still have another nineteen games to go, and a lot of players to come back from from injury. So things could a little look a little bit different, but it's tough to see United, Manchester, and Newcastle uh, dropping points. But it'll be interesting if City get caught and get yeah. dragged down a little bit. Boy, <laughs> that might that might get interesting. And they have Tottenham next, so uh, we know how that goes for them. But no, I think it's been it's been refreshing to see someone other than Man City and Liverpool just at the top, you know, pulling away. Unfortunately, it's not Chelsea, and I hate to, for it to be <laughs> Arsenal. But I'm going to transition here and, and say our women are doing what, you know, uh, we sh- expect the men to do to Arsenal and and taking points away from them. So uh, I'll jump into the, you know, the women's game coming back from the winter break and, and a, a big game to come back to with Arsenal away. Uh, but here's who played Moskowitz in goal, Liam Charles, Kadisha Buchanan, Millie Bright and Eriksson. Uh, in defense as a back four, Cuthbert and Sophie Ingle in midfield as a as a two, Gurwriter Fleming and Lauren James uh, front th- uh, three behind uh, Sam Kerr. So, Jackie, it's a top of the table clash in the sense that these two have been going back and forth at each other for a long, long time, uh, and it's a it's a it's a London derby, right? And it's one where you've had a month long break. You're not really sure what to expect with players coming back and all of that stuff. But Arsenal get the lead and Chelsea are sitting top right now, but Arsenal get the lead and that kind of puts the pressure on Chelsea. And it honestly looked like a game where we needed a little bit of a spark and we needed a little bit of just some inspiration uh, for lack of a better term in terms of getting back into this game. And we ultimately do right at the end from who else but Sam Kerr, (laughs) who's now scored the most headed goals in the women's super league history and she's only been here i want to say four seasons three seasons yeah so that just tells you everything about what she's been doing in the league but she comes up big when we need her and and gets us the point that we ultimately take away and and walk out of this game uh i'm sure emma hayes is not impressed by what she's seen because she expects us to be winning these kind of games and and doing it away from home against our biggest rivals isn't a bad way but again I would be happy with the point. We obviously have played a game more than Manchester United and Arsenal who sit below us. So they could catch up to us. And we know how the women women's Super League goes. It basically goes to the last day. So a good point away from home. We build upon this, you know, with the next few games that will be coming up. But ultimately, it's a, a result that we can be proud of, not losing and, and keeping Arsenal a little bit below for now. Yeah, that's all we can do is just continue to keep the pressure on. And like you said, we are game above. They have a game in hand, so it's going to be very, very tight for the next few weeks. But like I said, opening the new year with not not a loss is always a positive thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And the next game is is Liverpool for the women as well, um, uh, January 22nd. So, And that's a team we lost to. That's only lost this season, so I'm sure... The, they'll have some plans for some revenge. But we'll cover both Liverpool games in the next episode, Jackie. But it's been a fun one. It's been good to come back and chat all things. We didn't even get to actually touch on Graham Potter and everything that's been going on. But uh, any quick thoughts about him and what you want to see, you know, with, with him in the next the rest of the season, really? Yeah, look, I think as a Chelsea fan, it's going to be a bumpy ride. I think I'd said this a few episodes to go strap in for the ride. It's going to be a bumpy one, but... I think all we can do at this point in time is give Graham Potter the support that he deserves in the time that he deserves. And I think this comes from a good place, Rahul. I've seen many a good manager leave Chelsea because of our previous regime. Uh, The biggest one that hurt the most was Frank Lampard because I thought he was going to be given the time to build the project. And so maybe this is the chance for Graham Potter to have the two, three seasons. We may not see the silver where we used to, but... uh, it sounds like he's having a big hand in the conversations on the transfers and helping put the team together. And so far, I reiterate, all the transfers recently have been under 25. So Chelsea are really building something for the future. And I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on all podcast providers, YouTube, Instagram, and on Twitter. It's at Premier Chels. 
Uh, one quick shout out to uh, our friends at the King's Meadow Chronicle who do the uh, women's fanzine at games. Check them out. Uh, the latest one is out with a little bit of a uh, you know, preview and a history of the Premier Chels as, you know, as their main sponsor. So definitely go purchase it. We'll throw it up on our socials and, and put up all the details. Uh, and we will be back with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels. Hey, guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.